Stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. In May 2003, Walter Zapata was put through a seven-day exorcism that ended in his death. You heard that right. There was an exorcism that happened right here in London. It was carried out by his father, Diego Zapata Cordera, his mother, Ana Mejia Lopez, and his friend, Alex Ozaguda. They were members of the now shuttered Pentecostal Missionary Church of Christ. They tied Walter down in the basement of their family's home, praying to rid him of his demons over a one-week period. And according to them, it worked. But at what expense? A mother and father lost their child, and three people were tried in a court of law for murder. On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we present The Exorcism of Walter Zapata. Here are your hosts, Amy Cheng and Patrick Magermans. If there's one thing you'd never have expected to happen in London over the last 20 years, it's probably an exorcism. And an illegitimate one at that. Not one of the three exorcists in this story were trained by the Vatican. Right, but in all seriousness, Diego Zapata Cordera and Ana Mejia Lopez were extremely concerned parents. They saw their 19-year-old son go through a dramatic change from the fun-loving kid they knew to one whom they considered to be demonically possessed. They thought his smoking, his listening to rap music, and his refusal to do chores was the work of a demon that had possessed their son. This is Gloria Galloway, former journalist for The Globe and Mail, who covered the story at the time. It's a really, uh, it's something that we as sort of Westerners are going to think is crazy, right? Like, um, you know, your son's possessed by the devil. When you read the Walter's behavior, he transformed from a, a you know, nice, uh, obedient, pleasant kid into somebody who was behaving very oddly. I mean, he did things that, that that all kids do. He started, you know, listening to, you know, music his parents didn't like and, you know, being somewhat disobedient and all kids do that. But not all kids go to take the mic at a church and start to speak in tongues. They'd also seen some rebellion in an older son as well. They were probably worried about that, that Walter might go down that path. But I think that the whole speaking in weird gibberish language at a church thing pushed them over the edge. Um, And if you are raised in a culture that truly believes in the devil, which is is difficult for those of us who, who weren't and don't to fathom, then uh, you know, this is where the mind goes and you protecting your kids means getting the devil out of them. Speaking gibberish in the house of the Lord. You probably can't do that. And that's definitely something that all parents would be worried about at this point, wouldn't it? Something was seriously wrong with Walter, and it scared his parents. But what most people might do would be to go see a doctor, go see a psychologist. There could have been, and likely would have been, a logical explanation for Walter's actions, even a treatable explanation. Yeah, I mean, even the Vatican School for Exorcism teaches a seek medical help first process when they train their exorcists. It's just how things go in the biz and in real life. But Walter's parents condemned him to an exorcism right away. No questions asked, no alternative sought. They acted on it right away. They brought him into the basement. Uh, My recollection was it was actually a lawn chair and the the dad and the father and the dad's friend wrestled Walter over his extreme objections into this lawn chair and tied him up with men's ties. Uh, and whenever he would, when he was screaming too loud, they they did tape his mouth shut. 
Um, and he fought like that for a number of days. I think it was seven days. The way he was forced into a chair and tied up almost sounds like an abduction or a kidnapping. That, I can confirm, is not Vatican approved. It would not be. And as the exorcism proceeded, one of the more disturbing parts of it was that it wasn't a secluded exorcism. It wasn't just Diego, Anna, and Alex praying over Walter. During those seven days, members of the church were present as well. They were periodically in and out of the apartment to offer prayers to Walter. And you'd have to think at this point that this many people witnessing a 19-year-old tied up in a basement and screaming, maybe someone would have thought something was wrong? I guess to understand this a little better, you have to realize this was a deeply religious group. And as far as they knew, they were there to help and provide prayer and worship. They genuinely thought they were ridding Walter of a demonic possession, not aiding and abetting a murder. But as the days went by, Walter's state of both physical and mental health started to get worse. When he was tied up, according to those who were with him, including his mother, as he was dying of dehydration, he was also refusing any liquids. So um, you'd think that even if you were really angry with your parents for having tied you up in the basement, that if you were super thirsty, you wouldn't refuse liquids. You know, I, I, it's pretty hard to, to, to dehydrate yourself to death unless there's something psychologically wrong with you, I would think. But hey, I'm only, a, I'm only a reporter. I'm not a doctor or a psychiatrist. The fact that he was severely dehydrated and still refusing water, something was wrong. And to think of an example off the top of my head, if you were lost in a desert for seven straight days, to finally come back to civilization only to refuse water? That's unheard of. There was definitely something at play with Walter. Could it have been a possession? I can't speak to that, but a rebelling teenager wouldn't go as far as to refuse water to prove a point. He even refused soup when they tried to feed him. It got to the point that by the end of the exorcism, he lost nine liters of water from his system. But on the last day of the exorcism, they noticed a change in Walter. It was a long time. It was enough time to die of dehydration. Um, but at the end uh, of it, he became complacent. He basically, they, they, they basically said he, he, he changed. And to their mind, the devil had left. And so they untied him. They brought him out. But by that time, it was too late. This was not you know, a fanciful thought in their head. They truly believed their son was possessed by the devil. Um, and frankly, they also believed the, the orc, um, that the exorcism was uh, successful. They believed they managed to get the devil out of Walter before he died. So in some ways, I think there was a little bit of relief. I mean, I think that, you know, they certainly didn't want to kill their, their son, but they also didn't want him to live with the devil inside. So, um, you know, there were, <laughs> I guess there were, clearly a little bit of mixed emotions on their part that, you know, and we they did what they had to do. When the devil was said to have left Walter's body, he became unresponsive. Thinking that this was just part of the exorcism process, the parents called Fabian, the church's priest. When he arrived, he made sure they called 911. At this point, it was too late. Walter had already passed away. His final words were, forgive me. Now, this very well could have been an exorcism gone wrong, but a young boy died and it was obviously because he was tied up in a basement and was malnourished for a week. In the court of law, this is considered murder. Walter's parents and Alex were put on trial for his death. 
though it didn't last long. There wasn't much of a trial because, you know, all the parties basically admitted, pleaded guilty to manslaughter. There was no question about how Walter had actually perished. He perished at the hands of his father and his father's friends, his friend, father's friend. And frankly, I mean, the whole church there was somewhat involved and tangentially a lot of people knew what was happening. And the thing that I still remember is how emotionally charged this whole thing was. Uh, the whole time, Walter's mother just sat sobbing and sobbing. I mean, she'd lost her son. And, uh, you know, the his father was clearly distraught. I mean, this was not, there was no question in your mind. You couldn't have seen that trial and gone, oh, well, you know, these people actually meant to kill their son. And this, you know, this was actually, a, uh, you know, something that they did out of malice. There seemed to have been a lot of love in that family, but there was clearly a belief that you can actually be possessed by the devil. The parents were shattered by the death of their son. It can't be stressed enough that they believed that they were doing an exorcism to help their son, even save him. When you're that religious and have that level of certainty that the devil is real and that he or she is present in our lives, it's possible to come to conclusions like being possessed. And this was taken under complete consideration during Justice Deborah Livingstone's sentencing process. She was reasonably sympathetic to this family, that she'd, say, she'd seen the intense hurt that they were still experiencing as a result of their own actions and that the grief and the remorse of losing their son. And she certainly expressed that, but she also said that, you know, it's, you, you may express grief at losing your son, but you, but you, you actually did kill him, you know? So and even though you're, you're going to have to live with that for the rest of your lives is what she said. Um, but, you know, a life is taken by your actions. And she let the mom out with just a day after that. Well, she'd already been held in jail for quite a while. Um, and the, I've forgotten the exact sentence that was given to the dads, uh, to the dad and his friend, but they didn't, they didn't end up staying in jail for a lot, lot longer. Um, I think if she'd seen, if, if she had thought that there was any kind of actual intent to cause this death, it would have been a much different, um, much different outcome for them too. But yeah, they had, and uh, they did end up spending 500 days in jail before the sentencing. That is an odd balancing act for a trial, considering that the parents genuinely believed they were ridding Walter of a demonic possession. Not to say they weren't remorseful, but can a death by exorcism really be defensible in a court of law? The sentence would say, sort of? Diego Zapata Codera and Alex Osegueda were sentenced to serve an additional 15 months in jail on top of their pretrial custody, so around a total of three years in jail for the murder. It sounded like the prosecution was pretty disappointed in the verdict. The Crown Attorney David Arnfield was hoping more consideration would be put into the amount of suffering Walter had been through during the exorcism, as the London Free Press reported at the time. Arnfield asked Judge Livingstone to consider the prolonged period of suffering Walter Zapata endured as he gradually dehydrated, became lethargic, and lapsed into unconsciousness and died. This young man was desperate to free himself, Arnfield said. The London Free Press also reported that Arnfield asked the judge to consider the inherent indignity of Walter being forced to soil himself for a week in adult diapers placed on him. 
That is a valid concern. If babies have their diapers changed six or more times a day, I'm sure Walter could have been spared a few through the week. But even Artfield admitted there was no intent on causing harm to Walter. He made that concession, and it's actually one of the things that still stands out to Gloria. Well, the, the two things that stand out to me was how, was their grief and their remorse and the sadness that they felt at the loss of their son. And the other thing that stood out to me was their belief that they had actually accomplished what they'd set out to do, that they got rid of the devil. It wasn't a show or an act they were putting on. And to those that follow this faction of religion and worship, the actions may seem reasonable had they gone about things in a more, as you can say, Vatican sort of way. But to those outside of that type of religion, this was obviously a pretty surprising trial. I mean, first murder by exorcism I've ever heard of. It actually has happened before, believe it or not. Not often, but people have died during exorcisms, but definitely not locally, which is why it got a bit more attention. So the Walter Zepeda case is a case that the Globe Mail would not have covered except for its occult elements. Um, obviously, the Globe Mail doesn't send reporters off to London, Ontario to cover your standard uh, murder trial. When this happened because of the unusual circumstances surrounding it, I was a general assignment reporter for the Globe and Mail out of Toronto, and they sent me off to uh, London for the day to write the story of the conviction, essentially. Well, I thought it was extremely interesting. I mean, it's, it's the only time in my life I've ever got to cover an exorcism trial, I've got to say, and I had a pr pretty long career as a journalist. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was a one-off, but a, a pretty interesting one. Moral of the story? Everyone has a right to practice a religion of their choice. If that involves exorcisms, go for it. It's your right. But what we don't have the right to practice is murder. The exorcism was not the villain of this story. It was the restraining and malnourishing of Walter Zepeda by his parents in Osagueda. Or maybe that a 19-year-old boy died that day under the assumption of a religious belief instead of seeking the medical help that Walter may have needed. Yeah, probably that too. Either way, this was an interesting story. Pretty surprising, honestly. We see exorcisms on the TV and in the Vatican School of Exorcism, but not here in southwestern Ontario. That is quite extraordinary. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. This episode of the 519 Podcast was hosted by Haley Chang and Patrick Magrins. 